We're going to be in the book of Joshua. And uh, next week we'll return back to the, the Matthew series. But today I wanted to take this opportunity to sort of share something that the Lord has had on my heart. And especially as we turn into this, this new year, into 2020, I think the timing of what we're going to talk about this morning is almost perfect. Um, I was reading through the book of Joshua a few weeks ago. And uh, I got to this portion of the book, and it just seemed as though the Lord highlighted the section and, and just had me camping out there. My mind over the last couple of weeks has just been spinning from thoughts from this section of Scripture. And so I thought we'd camp out here for a Sunday um, and that uh, we would challenge ourselves and encourage us uh, in, as we enter into 2020 uh, from this passage this morning. I'd actually mapped out this whole sermon with these six great points in this text, and I just felt like I was supposed to scrap them all and camp out in one section. And so um, I'm going to spend like an hour and a half in just one little section this morning. So I'm sorry about that. At least you don't get the six points, because we would have been here for like three hours. Uh, but <laughs> if you don't have a Bible, or uh, why don't you... Um, open up your phones or something. We're going to have the passage on the screen. Grab your phones, your Bibles, whatever the heck you have. Um, turn to Joshua chapter 3, and then I will read that, and we'll get started this morning. You guys okay? Yeah? You guys okay? You came amped and prepared? Who's, who's happy for a new year? Anybody glad to turn the pages of the calendar? All right. Joshua chapter 3 verses 1 through 17. Say word if you're there. Okay. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. I hate that word. I'm sorry about that. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And at the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place, and you shall follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way that you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. And then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and they went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe of a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priest bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. And so when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan, 
with the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priest bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on the dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we thank you for your word. God, my heart just feels super heavy and burdened for what it is you have for us this morning. I pray, Jesus, that you uh, would grant me the ability to communicate your word effectively. And um, Jesus, I pray this morning that you'd open up our hearts to hear what it is you have for us. God, I pray for those hearts this morning that are just closed off, that are hardened. Um, Jesus, that there would be a miraculous work to be done this morning as you soften those hearts to prepare them so that you can speak to them, Jesus. I pray for each person in this room, Lord, that we would be a people that would seek the presence of the Most High God in our lives in everything we do in your name. Amen. As we look to this year, um, I always like to find a couple words going into the year. And for our church, I really struggled to figure out, like, what is it God's calling us to this year? And there's two things that I feel like God has just been ringing in my head. Um, one is prayer, that we'd be a people of prayer. And two is that we'd be a people that would practice the presence of God. Prayer and presence. I mean, I really look at this next year and I think, what would it look like for us to be led by the presence of God, to, to, to flesh out his presence, to practice his presence on this earth, but to seek him wholeheartedly, to spend time in prayer. Honestly, I, I just felt so convicted towards the end of this last year that um, prayer just was not central enough in my own life. And so that's been my prayer for us. Um, I want to get you, as we dive into this, and I'll come back to that, I want to get you caught up really quick. We're coming to the story in, in the book of Joshua where you've got this nation of Israel camped about 10 miles east of the Jordan River, and they're about to cross this river and make their way into the land that God had promised them, into this promised land. And the Lord had promised them and called them to walk into this land 40 years prior to this happening, but they were too afraid to do it. And so now they're camped here, and Joshua is about to take this whole nation of Israel across the Jordan River into the land that God had promised them 40 years prior. And this is where we pick up in the story as the Israelites prepared across the Jordan River. It's this massive text, and I know there's a ton here that we're not going to be able to get, uh, get to this morning. A little too much for one Sunday, but um, prior to this, Joshua had sent these two spies across the Jordan River into the Promised Land, into the city called Jericho. And these two spies cross over. They end up hanging out with this prostitute named Rahab. Um, they bring back this amazing report from Joshua about this promised land. Uh, if you back up one chapter in chapter 2, verse 24, it says this. They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Which then brings us to this verse 1 of chapter 3. Early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set out, set out from Shittim, uh, 
and went to the Jordan where they camped before crossing over. So Joshua gets this news. He hears this report from these spies that had crossed over and come back. And what does Joshua do? He immediately acts. Like, notice this for one second. There was no lack of obedience on Joshua's part here. The the Lord promised that they'd make it into the promised land, and now they're literally seeing it unfold before their very eyes. After 40 years of, of, of wandering in this desert, they're finally there. They can taste it. And these spies bring this amazing and miraculous report back to them. And so they step out, and they begin to move. And I really don't want us to take this for granted this morning, Anthem. This was Joshua leading the people into war, leading them into battle, that this wasn't some easy thing. He he knew that, that when the people crossed the Jordan, they would literally be putting their lives and their families' lives at, at risk. They, they were putting the whole existence of this nation on the line. Every single person was going to cross this river, and eventually somewhere close to two million people would make it across. They were trusting in this promise of the living God that much. Like nothing about this was easy, but here's here's the thing. There was no other alternative for them at this point. They they had already tried everything else. They already tried fear instead of faith. They they already tried distrusting God instead of trusting God. They they had tried everything and, and all it ever brought about for them was death. And so for 40 years they'd been dying in the desert. So it was cross the Jordan or bust, literally. This is our only option we need to get across. And I was thinking about this, about this a couple days ago. If I was to put up on the screen the highlight reel of my walk with Jesus and show you guys all the most radical moments of obedience in my life, if I could play a video of those things for you, you might be super impressed by the things that you see on that screen But what you wouldn't see is that so many of those steps of obedience in a life were actually preceded by by me trying every other avenue I could first. Until I'd exhausted every other resource, and then at the very end of it, it's finally like, okay, God's way. (laughs) Anybody else ever feel like that? You try everything else because you just don't want to do it his way first, so you try everything else. And it often takes longer to actually get to God's way when we live like that. But what's crazy is that this is the God we serve, a God that has sent his son to live, to die, to rise for a bunch of people that have basically rejected him. And so this God who calls a nation to cross the Jordan River into the land that he promised to give them after he's been leading them, showing himself to them over and over again, but they've been too afraid and they wander in the desert for 40 years and he still makes a way. Is that not like the grace of God? Rejection after rejection, wandering after wandering, wrong decision after wrong decision, and he still follows through with this promise. He still makes the way. And what, it, what an like incomprehensibly gracious God that we serve and that we follow. So these Israelites are on the move. The, the, the trip from the, uh, the, this town Shittim to the bank of the Jordan was about 10 miles. And, and then what do they go and do when they get to the bank of the Jordan? They camp. Like Surprise, surprise, right? They, they, they camp. Uh, again, uh, you guys think you liked camping. Try spending 40 years in the desert, finally being on the brink of the place you were supposed to go, 
and now you got to camp again, right? You guys know that that's my worst nightmare. I hate camping. So um, the, the least amount of time that I have to camp, the better, right? And they weren't pitching their fifth wheel on the side of the river and glamping. It was like legit camping. And instead of cross the river, instead of just go for it, when they know that that's where they're headed, the Lord asks them to camp, to camp. And it's interesting because it looks, if, at face value, it looks a little bit like this delayed obedience, doesn't it? Like, the Lord told you to go, but you're actually going to sit there and camp. God, God told you to go into the promised land, and you get to the edge, this last major hurdle that you have to cross, this Jordan River, and then you camp for a few days. Like, what, what does God have to do? He called them 40 years prior. He called them through Moses. He called them through Joshua. And now he's called them through this report from these spies. And now they get to the crossing point and they camp. I mean, what's, what's stopping them from just crossing this river, walking up to Jericho, handing Jericho their eviction notice? Like, hey, y'all, we're moving in. Get out. God told us this is our land. Why aren't they doing that? And as I was thinking about this this week, I was thinking... Wouldn't you be so, so relieved to know that it's finally time to do what you waited 40 years for by this point? And as I read this, I asked this question. This is what struck me, that they had learned a thing or two about following the leading of the living God over the last 40 years. Over 40 years, this people learned something about what it meant to actually follow the Lord, and it didn't come naturally to them. It, it like certainly doesn't come naturally to us. I don't know about you, um, but it doesn't come naturally for me. And working as a pastor, um, oftentimes this means that I'm regularly taking walks with people and meeting with people at coffee shops and talking to people about how they're trying to discern the Lord's leading in their life. They're trying to figure out what he's asking of them. People want to know, what is God saying? What, what's he asking? What is God doing? And it's honestly a joy for, for my wife and I to journey with people as they seek for God's leading in their life. It's awesome. Uh, with our new office space downtown, one of the things that's different about be officing up in Hayden is that I get to do these walking meetings now, which is so cool, right? Um, walking meetings before would have meant um, a nice stroll along 95 in Hayden on, uh, on some... Uh, Hey, I don't know. And, and now we, we're in downtown, and I get to actually just go on these walking meetings with people and talk to them. Um, but I often find when I talk to people, it's that everybody's wrestling with the same dynamics of following the living God as I do. Everybody's wrestling through the same stuff. It's tough. It's tough for us as human beings to follow and to learn to be led by the Spirit of God. It's tough. He works differently than we do. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And the reality is this, Anthem, that you and I individually and personally and as a church, we need, need, need him to lead. Amen? We need him to lead. We need the spirit of God to lead the people of Jesus. We need him to lead. We desperately need it. We need his general leadings in our life. And then there's some of us in the room that are pleading with him for specificity in this leading for your life, for specific things. 
And I know you're here in this room this morning asking for very specific things. We, we, we always have people that like come into the church and they've never been here before. They've never checked out Anthem before, but you're here today and you don't necessarily know why. And you're here today because you've been asking the Lord, Lord, lead me. Like, where are you? Maybe I need to figure something out in my life. And you're desperate for his leading in your life. Like we are desperate for him to lead us. Which is why this passage is so stinking crucial. There's a lot that we're not going to talk about in this passage this morning, but what I want us to focus on is this. We can see here that there are clearly some dynamics of being led by the living God that, the, that we desperately, as his people, need to understand. If we want him to lead us as individuals and as a church. So dy- dynamics of following Jesus that will turn our lives literally upside down and set us up to respond to him, to respond to him well if we are willing to listen to where he's going. Look at verses two and three. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you're to move out from your positions and follow it. So these people are camped. They get this word from Joshua. They're hanging out at the edge of the river waiting to hear for what's next. They know they're going to cross it, but they're waiting to hear what it is that Joshua has to say. And so he sends these officers out with this word to the people. And what is it? basically, that these officers are saying. Listen to this. Basically, they're saying, like, stay still. Don't go anywhere until what? Until the Ark of the Covenant moves before you. Until you see the Ark of the Covenant moving, then follow it. So a little bit about this Ark of the Covenant um, I know that we probably have a bunch of experts on the Ark of the Covenant in the room this morning because there's some of you in this room that are older than 40 and have watched Indiana Jones, right? <laughs> but according to the, the Indiana Jones movie, uh, what happens when they finally find the Ark of the Covenant and they open it up? Lightning bolts shoot the people, their faces melt, their heads blow up, Right? And surprisingly, this has very little to do with what the Bible says about the Ark of the Covenant. But you all should go back and read Exodus 25 that that talks about the construction of this Ark of the Covenant. And what you guys need to know for today is that the Ark of the Covenant symbolized, in, in some ways, it even mediated the presence of God among his people. It was the presence of God in this box. The ark was holy. It was holy. It was set apart because it symbolized and it mediated this dwelling of this holy God with his people. And this is why when the Lord commands them to build this ark, he tells them to build it with these two acacia wood poles that are permanently affixed to it so that no one would ever touch the ark itself. They would carry it by these poles. It was carried by these poles so that no one would ever touch it. When the, when the Israelites were roaming through the desert, the ark was actually kept in this tabernacle. And when they had a permanent temple for it to be placed in, it was kept in this part of the tabernacle or the, the temple called the Holy of Holies, an area of the, the, the temple that nobody could go to except for the high priest once a year. 
year, and he would only enter in there to offer a sacrifice and burn incense on behalf of the Lord. This area that this ark, the presence of God sat in, was no joke. No joke. It's the presence of God within this confined area. In fact, if you read further, hundreds of years later, when David was king, you read about this guy named Uzzah, who was following behind the ark as it was being carried on this cart, being pulled by some oxen. And, and when one of the oxen stumbled, uh, Uzzah puts out his hand to actually steady the ark of the covenant because it's about to fall and he didn't want it to fall off the cart and he touches it and what's the Lord do? Strikes him dead <laughs> on the spot which then makes David angry. It makes him afraid of ever like coming near this ark again. But this ark was holy. It was no joke. So what the heck does that have to do with being led by the Lord this morning? The fact that we read here that Joshua camped to discern the Lord's leading and then told the people to wait for his presence, the ark, it should tell us that this living God desires to lead his people with his actual presence. This is amazing. God does, doesn't give them a map to follow. He doesn't give them some instructions to follow. He leads them with his actual presence. And today, I, I think we have a lot of followers of Jesus who I think live a lot more like deists than we do disciples. Meaning, you see that these deists are people that believe that there's a creator, that there is a God, and that the only way they think we can explain everything around us is by seeing the creation. That, that God got this whole thing started, that he put the earth in the place, and he said, here you go, here's the earth to inhabit it. And, and then some deists even believe that, that God gave us this set of instructions to live by, and then he's backed off so that he, he's no longer involved in the day-to-day -day stuff of his creation. He just created it, put us in it, and he backed off, and they believe that he exists and he's there, but he's not part of us. He's not in this with us. But Jesus, Jesus says something completely different. First of all, the, the incarnation of God tells us something completely different about Jesus. Jesus, after his death and after his resurrection, before Jesus ascends back up into heaven, he tells us that he would send his spirit, that the spirit of the living God, the same spirit whose presence was manifest in and through this Ark of the Covenant, and Jesus said that his spirit would speak to us, that his spirit would give us gifts to use for the sake of the church, for humanity. That Jesus said that his spirit would strengthen us. He said that his spirit would comfort us, that it would convict us of sin. Jesus said that his spirit would empower us. And just like that, Joshua told the people to wait until the ark moved and then go, follow it. Jesus told his disciples to wait until the spirit fell, and then, then he says in Acts 1, they would become his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Wait, when my spirit comes, when my presence is there, go, follow my presence. Like to be led in this life by Jesus, which I think we all need, don't we? <laughs> we all need, we're all desperate for, is actually to be led in this life by the Spirit of God, 
to be led in this life by the Holy Spirit, which we all have if we are in Christ. We all have this spirit if we are in him. So for, for right now, I, I want us to understand that what we're ultimately talking about, if you think about it, is the position of our will. The, the, the people were commanded by Joshua to wait, to stand still until the ark moved. And the people had to decide what they would do with this command from God. And the people had to agree that being led by the presence of God was most important to them. It was most important. Can you think about that for a second? That being led by the presence of God was most important to them. If, if being led by the presence of God in your life is not the poor, most important thing to you in this life, there's no way you're going to be able to hang where we're going to be going as we dig into the book of Matthew. There's no way. It'll actually be impossible because living a Christ-centered life requires us to be led by his presence. And as we get back into this book of Matthew and we start studying the ways of Jesus, what we're going to find is that Jesus doesn't tell us, just tell us some good ways. He actually encourages us to be discipled by him, to follow after him, to do what Jesus did. And the first thing that I think we have to decide is what position is our will in? Have we gone ahead of God? Or are we waiting back to see where his presence goes so that we can follow him? Do, do we desire to, to lead our lives ourselves or do we desire for the living God to lead us? That's the question I think we have to consider this morning because being led by the presence of God comes down to this one single word, this, this word that I hate, um, a word that we resist, a word that I resist with every part of my being, Be, being led by the living God comes down to this one word, a word that Joshua used, a word that Jesus used, and it's this word that we talked about for four weeks in December as we went through this Advent series, and the word is what? Wait. Wait. And we do not like waiting. We do not like delay. At least I don't. I don't know about you guys. But I want to rush into everything. Like as soon as I see a problem, I just want to solve that thing. You can ask my wife because sometimes Heather just wants to talk and share her heart and share how she's feeling. And all I want to do is tell her how to fix the situation. Anybody else relate? Spouses, come on. And then to make matters worse, as soon as I think I have a solution, what do I want to do? I want to implement it, and I want it to happen now. Waiting is not an option. And even after everything, the Israelites, these people of God, had heard the Lord tell them, even when they, they knew what the next step was, even though they knew where it was they were going, Joshua told the people to set up camp once again, wait for the presence of God to lead them, and then it actually gets worse. So the, the people are told to wait until the ark begins to move, and then in verse four he says this, then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before, but keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. 
So if waiting for the ark to move wasn't bad enough, even though they know where they should go already, now the people are actually being told that once it does move, they can't even go near it. (laughs) And why? Because you haven't passed this way before. You don't know where you're going. This would be so frustrating for me if I was one of the people in the nation of Israel because all we're talking about is crossing the river. It's not very complicated. They knew exactly where they were going. They knew the point of the crossing. They're this massive group of people that can cross, they can meet on the other side. And yet he says, you should go near the ark because you, you shouldn't go near the ark because you haven't passed this way before. You don't know where you're going. And, and what we see is, is that for the presence of God to lead, the people actually had to keep their distance. And it's a distance of about a thousand yards, just over a half a mile. And these people were being commanded to literally slow themselves down, to not rush ahead because otherwise they would lose sight of where it was they were going. And I think it's this massively important word for me and for us, for Jesus' church as a whole, this word that would require this massive shift in us, church. This is what I realize the more years that I live, is that every time a year turns, I plan and I set goals. Anybody else? Three of you, that's amazing. I'm really proud of you guys. It's gonna be an awesome year, isn't it? If you don't set goals, you're bound to like accomplish a ton because you didn't have any goals to begin with. Um, But I cross over to the year and I set all these goals and, and I have the best intentions. But the bottom line is this, I have no idea what's ahead, do I? I have awesome intentions, but I have no idea what's ahead, none. Because there will always be things that get in the way of my best goals. Always. And here's the truth. We can wrap our minds around waiting for the ark to move and then following it. Especially if we were told that it was going to happen tomorrow. Or even wrap our brains around waiting for the Spirit of God to fall and then going. What you see in this text is that for those who actually positioned their wills to be led by the actual presence of the living God... The wait was perpetual. The the waiting doesn't end. The the waiting never stops. We're always to be in this position of waiting on him, Not, not just as he begins to move and then we rush ahead of him, but actually just to wait on him, period. The moment that we think we know where we are going and we move forward without looking for him is the moment that we get lost. And so we often talk about from the stage, like cultural idols that that have crept into the church of Jesus. And we talk about consumerism, and and we talk about independence as some of these idols that have kind of crept in. But honestly, as I was reading this, I was struck by the fact that there's some more in here that we don't talk about. I, I think the reason that we are not good at waiting is because we often worship at the altars of achievement and productivity. Man, these things rule us. Do, be busy, go. We're these busy, 
busy people. We want to produce a ton. We want to achieve a lot. We're busy people. We're always rushing around between people and meetings and responsibilities. We're running all of the time in our life. And then we enter into this relationship with Jesus. And then we bring that way of life, like this false God with us, like this idol of achievement and productivity. We bring it with us into our discipleship with Jesus. And then we can't understand why he doesn't seem to understand what everybody else around us has to do. That, that our time is at a premium, that we, we can't understand why we give him 10 minutes and he doesn't speak to us. Anthem. This is literally the God that the word says upholds the whole universe by the word of his power. He will not be rushed by you. He won't. Like, no matter how important we think we are, no matter how important our to-do list is to us, we can't fit the leading of the Spirit of God into our Google calendars. We can't. It does not fit there. He doesn't want a time slot. He wants your entire life. Jesus is looking for people of faith, which means Jesus is looking for people who are waiting on him, people who value him enough to say no to a lot of other things in their life, people who value him enough to slow down, to hear his voice. And I know that some of this sounds harsh, and maybe some of you have completely tuned me out at this point, but some of you assume that I just don't understand how busy your life is. That I don't get your life, and you're 100% right. I don't understand your life. But trust me when I say this this morning. You can ask a couple of our staff that I shared my six points for this morning that I, I wanted to go through. Um, and as I spent time with the Lord and was reading this passage I did not want to go this direction. Like I had these six points written out that would have been much easier to talk about, but as I kept reading and praying and pondering this text, it was like the Lord was just getting me right in the heart. Like, like he was like, no, like, please, I, I, please share this. And everything in me feels like, no, I can't. <laughs> Don't make me say that. Don't make me talk about slowing down or not rushing God because I feel like a massive hypocrite when I talk about that. Because if I sh well, as I share with you guys today, I realized my last three weeks of my life have been utterly insane. My calendar has been insane. I've stacked it with so many things. I'm completely overscheduled in my own life. I'm rushing around all of the time. My personal time with Jesus has struggled as a result of my rushing around and constantly doing and you're 100% right that I do not know your life this morning, but I do know this, that being led by Jesus means that my life is not the point. Your life isn't the point. It means that you're actually being called to lay your life down, and the only way, the only way that that can happen in this world that is as busy as ours is if we actually shift the values that actually shape how we actually live. And as we get into Matthew and we talk about the ways of Jesus, hold on to your seats because Jesus is gonna flip everything upside down. He's gonna challenge every cultural idol that we come up against today 
in 2020. But our values have to change. This is what I'm realizing in my own life. It means that our kids can't be at and be part of every single activity. They can't play every single sport. They can't do everything and go to every single party. It just doesn't work. Ask my wife. We have this conversation all of the time. Like, there's not enough time. It means that we can't always work overtime no matter what needs to be done and no matter how much work is on our plate. It means that we won't always get to the gym as much as we want to, right? If you say yes to some things, you're saying no to others, and you need to decide for yourself what you're going to say yes to and make sure those are the top priorities and say no to the rest. It means that your social lives won't always make other people jealous, (laughs) And it means that you cannot plan every minute. Like we, we live in this culture that's sort of elevated making memories as the number one priority in your life. At whatever cost, you got to do it. As the thing that we would trade all else for. But to be led by Jesus means that we have to stop. We have to slow down. We have to say no. We need to turn off our phones. And this honestly is my prayer for us in 2020 that we slow down, that we put him first, that prayer and practicing the presence of God become our primary focuses for 2020. If you're leading your, if we're leading ourselves, then we can go ahead and fill our schedules to overflowing. You can do whatever you want with your schedule if you're leading yourself. Go ahead and do it. The Israelites did that for 40 years. But if you're following the leading of Jesus, then you need to stop. We have to. You you need to slow down. Like some of us, man, we're literally dying on the vine as I talk about this this morning, and I've felt it myself. And I was thinking this week about the fact that it's sort of like building a fire. Like, you know how when you build a fire, the best practice in building a fire is to build space in the stack of wood to allow oxygen to flow so that the fire doesn't die. And some of you guys in this room, you're literally dying. And you're just trying to keep the fire going. I always get made fun of because I'm literally the worst fire builder ever. Um, because the way I make fires is I throw a bunch of wood on it and then I just keep throwing kindling on it and I keep throwing paper on it and then if that doesn't work, I get a bunch of gas and I start dousing it with lighter fluid and gas and whatever I gotta do to put on it to keep the thing going, I'm just gonna keep putting on it and I'm just gonna keep going, going, going. Like whatever I can do to keep it going instead of having to hit reset and rebuild the fire properly is normally what I opt to do. And it's sort of like we're, we're holding matches to dry logs and there's no air. And some of you in this room feel that way. Like it just won't catch. There's no room, there, there's no margin in your life, there's no oxygen, there is no life. And I want to encourage you this morning that your revival, your literally coming alive in the Lord might actually just be found in stopping and saying no. Which is something, if you look at the life of Jesus, Jesus modeled for us. 
Jesus was in high demand. He, he had a ton of people chasing after him. And over and over again, we see people looking for Jesus. We see people pleading with Jesus. We see people chasing after Jesus, wanting him to come to them. And most of the time, these were super needy, needy people, people that desperately needed him. And Jesus was there for them until he wasn't, until it was time for him to stop. And he knew his boundaries. In Luke 5, verses 15 and 16, it says this, yet the news about him spread all the more <laughs> so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be heal healed of their sickness sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and he prayed. Jesus was the only person on the face of the planet that could give all these people exactly what it is they needed. And yet he sometimes said no, withdrew from them to get alone with his father, to seek his face and to actually be led by God. And if that's the living God in the flesh, Jesus, that, that needed that in order to live this faithful life, to be led by the presence of God, then seriously, what kind of arrogance is it in us when we think that we can do without it? What is it? We gotta slow down. We have to let go. In fact, I was thinking this week, it'll actually take the destruction of some very old and very familiar idols in your life in order for this to occur. Like these altars of productivity and achievement, these altars of wasting away our free time on devices and, and social media, these altars of living up to other people's expectations, these altars of ambition. It'll take valuing Jesus more than any other person, more than any other job, more than any other circumstance, more than money, more than time. If we're actually gonna follow the presence of God, and I'm preaching to myself here, because these are the discussions that I'm having with my wife on a daily basis right now. And then we see this in this next verse. So we saw that in order to be led by the presence of God, we position our wills. We have to turn our wills to that position. And this is this active work that we do. We have to choose to turn our will to the Lord. You have to refuse to rush ahead. You have to slow down. You have to let him lead. And look at what comes next in verse five. Joshua three, verse five. Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. This word consecrate, it means to set apart for a purpose. Like for Israel, this meant that they would go through ceremonial washings, that they would abstain from things like even sex for a period of time. Why? Because God, this God who, whose value cannot be measured and who's made a way to be present with us, that this living God is holy. He's set apart. And if our heart's desire is to be led by the presence of God, then consecration is the only way it's gonna happen. cannot be led by the presence of God without consecration because it means being set apart to him. It means emptying us in order to be filled by him. And the crazy thing is that he's not asking us for ceremonial washings. He's not asking you to go purify yourself and make it happen. He's not asking you for empty religious rituals in your life. What he's asking for is what's at the heart of those things. And what's at the heart of these things was one thing, 
And it was a devotion to lives of holiness because the God leading us with his presence was holy. Amen? God said, be holy for I am holy. We set ourselves apart to him. We, we turn our wills in, into this position where we say, okay, Lord, I actually want you to lead me. We slow ourselves down. We, we withdraw to the mountains or the, the, the desert if we have to when we pray. We stop saying yes to everything and we start saying no even to some really good things and we pursue this holy God as this consecrated and set apart holy people. The, the holiness of God is so hard to define and it's tough to define because we have nothing like him to compare this to, nothing. Like he, he's the only holy being in existence so we don't have any categories to fit God into because he's it. And essentially what, what his holiness means is that he's set apart and he is perfectly pure. Think about this. Uh, you might not be as stoked on this as I was, but think about the fact that holiness is not a character trait of God's. It's not an aspect of who God is. It's his essence. Holiness is his nature. It's literally who God is, a God who's set apart and perfectly pure, which is why the gospel is so gnarly that this holy God made a way to be joined to us through the perfect obedience and righteousness of Jesus. And now our call is to lives of holiness. Like if you want to get together this week over coffee and ask the question, What's the will of God for my life? I'll give it to you right now. What's the will of God for your life? Your sanctification, honestly. You can read it in Thessalonians, like your set-apartness, your consecration, your turning from sin and pursuing holiness. Why? Because this is his will for you. His will for you is more of him, more of him. It's why he gave us Jesus. It's why he gave us his spirit. His will for us is more of him, not more stuff, not more things to do, not more achievement, not more productivity, not more notoriety in the eyes of man. Freedom from all those things and more of Jesus. Amen? What's crazy is that we're told in the New Testament that his spirit in us, it says, can be grieved that his spirit in us can be thirsted, that it can be quenched, that this is like a person. He can be grieved, thirsted, and quenched. And without us positioning our will for him to lead us, without slowing down, without setting ourselves apart, cutting off the things that we know he hates, without running to him, we literally quench and resist and grieve his spirit. We can't be led by his actual presence. And it's his holiness that makes what happens next so amazing. So these Levitical priests pick up this ark, which was kind of a unique situation for these priests to carry it. And they pick up the ark and they start to move in verse 14. And it says, so when the people broke camp across the Jordan, the priests carrying the ark of the covenant went ahead of them. 
And now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. If you've read the Old Testament and you know the story of ancient Israel or you've read it in the Jesus Storybook Bible or whatever, then it probably reminds you of another story that happened years prior. What happens at the Jordan is sort of like what happens at the Red Sea, right? When the, when the Lord parted the waters to set them free from slavery from Egypt to cross over. And in 1 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul basically says that this whole, the whole situation with them leaving Egypt and crossing the Red Sea was supposed to be read with Christ at the center of that story. Like there's a spiritual analogy in this for us. So the, the, this whole movement from, uh, of Israel from slavery in Egypt across the Red Sea into this land of freedom is the same movement as the one from sin and death through our profession of faith in Jesus, into this life of freedom, into our promised life. The temptation here sometimes is to kind of over-spiritualize the story. And if you go read a bunch of commentaries on this like I did, you kind of find a lot of assumptions about this whole thing. Um, but here's what I will say is the, the Red Sea symbolized God's power and it symbolized God's redemption, like being set free from sin and death. But, but even though that was a moment for the Israelites, think about this, where they literally came from slavery and they were set free and they crossed over the Red Sea, that there was a freedom in it for them, but they still didn't enter into the land of the, into the promised land. Like these people were sort of positionally free. They were slaves and then they weren't anymore. And the Lord called them, and they wouldn't follow. They wandered in the desert for 40 years in their unbelief. And now we get to the Jordan, and there's this moment of faith. Like This was this moment of walking not into this sort of positional freedom, like you were dead in your sin, and then now you're just alive, that they had already had. But it was this, like their moment of being led by him into the land of promise, the hope that they had, the promise that God had given them, like the final destination and the power of God in filling us with faith and conforming us to the image of Jesus through that life, that that power is actually just as radical as the power that saved us in the first place, isn't it? Like, think about this. To be led by Jesus in life is just as miraculous as being saved by him from death. Isn't that cool? Let's be honest this morning. There's some of us in this room that are followers of Jesus, but don't actually believe that Jesus can lead you in this life. There's some of us in this room who have followed Jesus for a long time, but have done away with the idea that the living God can actually lead, that he can actually guide and convict and comfort and speak and move. Like the, the, the promise that you can hear this voice that says, this is the way, 
now walk in it is totally written off. And in fact, today, in some, some groups, is considered naive. And there's some here that believe that we're positionally free, like you've been saved, but don't necessarily believe that the Spirit of God can show up and move in power in our city in, our city in this day. Like, they don't believe that it's possible. And honestly, I get so discouraged hearing this because there are some that, that don't even want him to move because life is fine the way it is. Things are fine the way that they are. It, it took Israel 40 years of wandering in the desert before they were ready to cross the Jordan, and it was still a miracle that they actually went. And Anthem, my prayer for you is, is that we need the same miracle in our hearts today. We need the same miracle, the, the, the miracle of being filled with faith so that we can follow God's lead. And it actually starts right now. It actually starts with you. It starts with me. Uh, it starts in this moment. Like if you really want to make a moment in your life, then make a decision to follow his lead from here on out in all decisions. Amen. There's a moment. You want to talk about being moment makers Traveling's cool, but nothing, it, traveling compares, or pales in comparison to being led by the Most High God, the living God. Like it actually starts with us this morning, positioning our wills and deciding that, that we want the presence of the living God to lead us in this life and we want nothing else. We don't wanna be led around by anything or anyone else but him. Like if he has something he wants us to do, then that's where we step into the Jordan and that's where it begins. We start to slow down and we start to say no to things. We start to make room, we, we withdraw to desolate places, which I'm horrible at. If anybody here study the Enneagram, like I'm a seven and I hate being by myself. I hate quiet. I hate being like all alone. It just drives me nuts. And the older I get and the closer I get to Jesus, the more I realize the way I'm built, I desperately need to retreat to desolate places and spend time with the living God. I have to. My soul desperately needs it. I want to share one more part of the call here. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. This miracle that, that we need to take place in our hearts today that's symbolic of crossing the Jordan, like it's actually going to start here with those who want it and those who are ready for it. And it's going to start with those who want it and are ready for it contending on behalf of those who aren't here and who don't know. And it starts with us loving each other in, in, in the midst of our unbelief. Like it's gonna take you stepping into your call as this minister of the gospel of Jesus and not just a consumer of the gospel of Jesus. Like we need to walk it out. We, we need to take this gospel and we need to become ministers of it. That means that the, the, the call the Lord has for you today, a big part of it actually starts in this room right now with the person sitting next to you. Like your call is here in this room. Look at the last verse, Joshua three seventeen. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan. And while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. So the Ark led the priests, the people uh, to the Jordan, and the priests get down in the water and they stop. And they're literally holding the Ark in the water while all the people pass by the Ark so they can walk 
through the Jordan. So while the ark is sitting in the middle of the water, the water is literally being held back. And I want to end with this. I, I was reading some commentary on this this week that pointed out something really interesting in this verse. Notice that it says that all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Like up until this point in scripture, you see Israel referred to as a people. And now he uses this word nation. And why is that important? Because God has never been at work putting together a collection of isolated individuals. It was never his plan. People who are following their own paths for themselves, that's not the church. Anthem, he's building a family. We talk about it all the time. Brothers and sisters whose call begins with one another. And, and sometimes the, the reason we get frustrated with God's leading in our lives is because we just think it's all about us. Like it's all about us. So when I'm ready to go to the next thing, when I'm ready for the next thing, now it's time and I can't understand why there would be any sort of delay. But he's not just looking at you and he's not just looking at me. He's actually leading the whole church. We together, his people together. And it's why a big part of your ministry is in this room. It's why it's time for Jesus' church to start loving each other and actually ministering to one another. It's pretty gnarly to go read um, online about the empathy deficit in America. Have any of you guys read about this? Just go search. You'll find article after article about how the uh, ton news agencies and professionals and psychologists, what, yada, 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 are just saying that America is growing more and more or less and less empathetic. Dozens of articles have been written about the serious lack of empathy that America, that America has never seen before, like uh, that never marked us. And so we are literally so self-consumed that we actually cannot even fathom life through somebody else's eyes. We can't. We're so caught up on our own stuff, and it's so crazy for me to read about it. And then I actually see friends of mine. I see people in our church that are actually some of the most empathetic, compassionate, kind people I know. And you go, how does what I read online and what I see in a people, like how is there such a great contrast? And here's the deal, the way we live is not normal. It's literally cross-cultural. It's how the church should be. It's being salt and light. Like we're living in a culture that is literally training you to miss the, 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 the leading of the living of God, the, the leading of the living God in your life. You're literally being trained to not listen to God, to not see him, to stay as busy as you can and do as much as you can so that you can't see where he's at or what he's asking of you. Like the, the, the culture is pushing us to lead ourselves. It's pushing us to hurry up, to do whatever you want and to live this as some isolated individual even in your relationship to Jesus. It's all about me and him. And Jesus is leading us to be led by him. He's leading us to slow down, to put others before ourselves and to realize that this walk was meant to be lived out in community as the church, not a solo mission that you are on. 
And I really think that now is the time for us to let the king lead us with his presence, Anthem. I don't wanna get to into 2020 and into the study through the book of Matthew without us stopping for a second and acknowledging where we may have let the cultural idols creep in in our life. And my prayer is that a shift would take place in the church, in our church, where the focus is actually off of ourselves and the focus is on him, the focus is on one another, and that this, honestly, is our Jordan crossing and how we make our way into the promised life. Amen? Man, I'm praying for you, church. When I say that I pray that this year is the best yet, I don't just mean that you are the wealthiest you've ever been, make the most business transactions you've ever had in your life, you feel the happiest and the most content that you've, no, that's not. But I pray that this year you would see Jesus like you've never seen him before. I pray that this year, the presence of God would literally be so, so evident in front of you in your life that you cannot miss it. And I'm telling you this morning that it will not be the case if you continue to let your life pile up and your busyness take over and you continue to say yes to everything else and you slowly drown him out. Let this be the year that we place him front and center, amen? Amen. Will you guys stand with me? Why don't you grab the person to your right and to your left hands? Some of you have been sick, and we're just going to trust Jesus in this, that the flu is not going to be passed hand to hand. Um, maybe share some sanitizer after we pray. Uh, Jesus, I just thank you for your church. Thank you for these people, God. This isn't just a collective of people that gather in a gymnasium once a week to sing songs and, and listen to a boring message. God, this is your people, your holy people that you paid the ultimate price for. And Jesus, there's so many in this room that are just struggling right now as they begin to put everything else first in their life and they just feel like life is literally being drowned out of them. God, I'm praying that this morning there be an opportunity for new life. God, as we talk about revival, I don't think it's just some big tent meeting where all these people come and raise their hands to accept Jesus. I think revival starts in the hearts of your people. And Jesus, it's a work that only you can do. And we, we say, come, Jesus, come. Say, Spirit, have your way with us, in us, through us. We ask you, Jesus, to move radically in our lives, to go out before us and give us eyes to see where you're at, the ability to keenly sense where you're going, the faith to trust you and follow you, even when it means stepping down into the raging river and trusting that you're gonna stop it. And Jesus, I'm praying like I always do that our city would look different, not as a result of a bunch of religious people that do a bunch of religious things, but as a result of a people who have this flame deep down in them, this fire that's been ignited that they can't contain. And I pray that that fire, Jesus, would just begin to be fanned 
all throughout our city. I pray that the miracle that would be done, Lord, is that the lost would come to know you. Those who are furthest from you would start to see you and know you, Jesus. The, the miracles that would be done would be the reconciliation and peace be had within your church, Lord, that we would be the salt and the light, that we would lead with the ways of Jesus in our own life and not hide from following you in all things, in all places. Jesus, I pray that your spirit be upon this group of people as they leave today. I pray, God, that you take something that was spoken today from your word and that you plant it deep within our hearts, so far down deep that we cannot stray from it, Jesus. May your will be done, Jesus. May your kingdom come. May your joy be had. May your peace be sensed. May your love not only be sensed, but be expressed, God. And would we go as the children of the Most High God, following the living presence of God amongst us. In your name we pray, amen.